Welcome to the Sunday Sermons Podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Thank you for joining us, uh, however and wherever you are joining us, and whenever you end up seeing this message. Uh, Many of you I know are live right now. We're so thankful for the opportunity to help you connect with God and with others in a deeper way. Um, We also are passionate about helping you find his perfect will for you. And that's one of the reasons why here at Morrison Hill Christian Church, every year we cycle through what Andy Stanley calls irreducible minimums. Some big themes that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we've got to have these things in place. Um, we, We really believe that every single year we've got to somehow or another cover these. I think most churches do. We're just very, very intentional about this and try to be very clear how we do that. And every year we pray that God will show us what do you want us to talk about? What do you want us to lean into? What do you want us to do in that direction this year? Last year, when we started our theme of ultimate authority, we actually dug really deep into the idea of tabernacles, what that meant in the Old Testament, what it means in the New Testament, and specifically the idea that today, right now in the world, we are the living, breathing, walking around tabernacles of God. The Spirit lives inside of us. It is We are the people that are, our job is supposed to be the place, the safe place, the thin places where people can approach. God because we are in the room and God is moving and working through us. What we're doing today builds on all that, but I guarantee you we didn't see this coming a year ago. I guarantee you that we are as lost as you. Here's what I know about a bunch of you guys. There's a lot that I don't know. There's a lot that we could never imagine. We don't know the details of what you're going through at this moment in your life, but there are some things we know. We know you're made in the image of God. You want a a full life, and we know that you, just like all of us, were not fully prepared for what's happening in the world today. Some of you think you were. I know some of you guys are preppers, and you still have some rice and beans left over from Y2K. But I bet you you were surprised about something. Maybe toilet paper. I don't know. You were surprised about something. Some of you are highly trained professionals and leaders, and you're trained for just about anything in any situation. But I guarantee you were surprised by some of the elements of the COVID-19 treatments or about the panic that the whole world has had about it or about the constantly changing rules and protocols you've had to follow. Um, I guarantee you were surprised about something. Some of you guys are conspiracy theories or a theorist. Some of you guys are always ready with guns or something. Wherever you are, I know you're out there. And you're just hoping for an opportunity where you're going to resist and fight for our freedoms if anybody ever tries to take it from us. But I guarantee you, you were surprised when suddenly the whole world decided that the noble, kind, moral, godly thing to do was to stay home, not go to work, not go to church, and just wait for further instructions. I guarantee you, you were really surprised by that. I guarantee you that you weren't prepared for that either. And this is where all this is going. 
That's just the way life is. We're never fully prepared for anything. We, we think we are, but life is full of crises. This present one that the whole world's talking about all the time is just one of many. There's always going to be moments in our lives where we don't know what's going on. We feel disoriented, where things are crazy. We feel like the world is falling apart. The whole world, maybe, or just in our own little personal little worlds. That's just part of how life goes. And so these truths, are they apply across the board, not just in this season, in such a time as this, but all the time. In times like this, in times of crisis, here are some of the questions that all of us ask. And I know this is true about you because it's true about me and it's true about all people. We ask questions like this. How do we survive this? How do we thrive in a time like this? How do we trust who do we trust? How do we know what are the real facts? How do we know what are the best strategies? Where do we find that information? How do we know when or how to submit? Who do we submit to? How do we know when or if we should resist? And if so, how? How do we know how to show love in a situation like this? And that's the question we ask whatever that situation happens to be. And especially right now, we're asking questions, how do you show love to people when there's so much fear and, and social distancing? And, and, and the kindest, most loving thing to do is to not touch anybody. Where is God in all this? What exactly does he want us to do? What's going to happen on the other side of all this? These are questions that we're all asking right now, but they're also questions we ask in every crisis Ever. And thank God there are amazing truths throughout his scripture that apply to every situation in one way or another. And there's also some amazing stories. So in this series that we're beginning today, we're going to focus on some of those amazing stories. Each, each week, we're going to focus on one particular story and some practical truths we can actually apply to our lives that we can see in those pages. And as we do that, I hope you remember that all the Bible heroes that we look up to, we tend to kind of project them as, as icons. They're almost symbols of things. They, they almost seem like superheroes that we love the stories about them. We don't really get that they're real. I hope that you get today and in these next couple of weeks that they were real. These people felt in the middle of those stories that we tell and retell, they felt the way we feel in a moment of crisis. They didn't have all the answers. They weren't able to know what we know looking back, knowing the end of their stories. They were just as lost as we are. They were asking the same kinds of questions. But the reason we're still telling their stories today is because they made a crucial choice that we can also make. And here's what that is. They chose to bet everything on this idea. They believed that if they trusted and obeyed, that God would guide and provide. And when they bet everything on that, he did. Today, we're going to be focusing on the story of a woman named Esther. And I, I want you, again, to realize these are true stories. So I'm going to start out just giving you a quick, really quick history lesson. I want you to know how this fits into the Bible's history and also just all history, because those are actually, it's same one great big true story. But the Israel, the kingdom of Israel, had split into, and they had done a bunch of terrible things. And God had warned them many times that both of those little kingdoms would fall and be sent to Babylon in captivity if they didn't repent. A lot of the Old Testament Tell, is telling that big story. 
So the Babylonian captivity happens. Daniel and his friends were captured in that and taken to Babylon. A lot of those stories happen there. Um, And toward the end of the book of Daniel, you see that Babylon was conquered by the Medes and the Persians. We know from other sources, the Bible doesn't give us this date, but we know that that happened in 536 B.C. And so suddenly what was called Babylon is now called Persia. Little by little, then, there is a gradual return to Jerusalem. God had said it would take 70 years. They were going to be stuck there for 70 years. But when the 70 years was up, they started a return. There were kind of two big waves that they made their way back to Jerusalem. Ezra, Nehemiah, several other prophets talk about all that era. But they started rebuilding the wall, rebuilding the temple, little by little sending people back to Jerusalem. But a lot of them were still in Persia. Some of them stayed there and settled there. This also, there's a lot of other things going on in the world that we still know about. For example, you might have heard of the Battle of Thermopylae. And that was, we normally hear that from the perspective of the Spartans, 300 valiant men who fought against the might of King Xerxes of Persia. They ended up losing, and we usually hear that as a really sad story. But here's what I want you to notice about that. This Xerxes, that Xerxes is the Xerxes in this story. And we know from sources outside the scripture that after he beat the Spartans, he went back through a massive party. And somehow in the course of that party, he actually ended up getting rid of his queen and finding a new queen. That happened in 479 B.C. And that is where the story of Esther picks up. At the first chapter, we meet Xerxes, we mean his queen Vashti, we see her get fired for not doing what he wanted her to do, and we see his advisors advise him to make, um, uh, to create a system where they could find a new queen. Now, every great story has several elements. There's, there's a great opening. This is a great opening. There's a big party. Everything's great. Uh, there's also some exposition. That's never the really fun part, but you have to know what's going on. There's going to be rising action. There's going to be stuff happening that kind of builds toward a big climax. And there's going to be the climax. It usually is really ex- exciting. It's not always that exciting, but it's the most important part of the story. It's, this is where everything, everything either works out or doesn't. And then there's a couple things that kind of resolve it. You see all of the elements, all of those elements in every one of these great Bible stories, especially this one. Hold on for, with me for just a few minutes while we do some of the exposition. It's not that boring. I just want you to know where we are in this story. Queen Vashti, I wish I had more time to talk about her, but uh, here's the most important things that the first chapter sets up. Let's just know three really important things about King Xerxes himself, and this comes into the story several times. Number one, Xerxes always says what his advisors tell him. Every single time he has a choice to make, he asks for advice, and he does exactly what his advisors tell him. Uh, He's a very complicated man. That's the second thing. Uh, Sometimes it seems like he really loves and respects Vashti and Esther, Uh, Most of the time, it seems like he really doesn't at all. He treats them like slaves or property. But he's a very complicated character. The third thing, though, and this is also, we know this from the book of Daniel. The laws of the Medes and Persians could not be revoked. This was part of their system that was just non-negotiable. No matter if they regretted it or not, even if it was their equivalent of an executive order, they could not revoke a law once it had been signed by the king with his signet ring. 
oh, that's going to be important, this whole story. Now we meet some of the protagonists. We meet some of the heroes of the story. There was a guy named Mordecai. He was a Jewish man. He was a righteous man. He was a wise man. And he had adopted his cousin, Esther. So it, basically from this point on, I'm just going to say his daughter. But it's really, it's really his cousin technically. But they had a relationship much more like a really good father and daughter. And I think that's important to remember. But here's the next thing. We come back into the story now. And we see what's going on in, the, in their world. Xerxes is looking for a new queen. And we tend to romanticize this idea. We tend to think about it like it's some sort of an American idol of Persia kind of a situation or a, a beauty contest. And all the little girls are like, man, I hope I get to be queen. But it was really much more like a military draft. They, they just forced these women to do that. And their, their choices were you just had to do it, and you were either going to be the queen or you were going to be part of the king's harem, and that was all there was to it. That was the rest of your life. And so Mordecai takes Esther aside and he warns her. He doesn't say, hey, you should go for this. You should be the queen. He says, hey, this is going to happen. And when it does, you need to keep your Jewish heritage a secret. Well, Esther goes into six months of training of how to please the king. She gets her big night with him. It's not a perfect story, but somehow she does. The Bible tells us that she pleases him in Whatever all situations, whatever that all means, here's, here's what happens. He chooses her as the queen. And he chooses Mordecai as one of his officials. And one of the first things that we see that happens next is that Esther and Mordecai team up and save the king's life. He finds out about a conspiracy that he's going to, some people are trying to kill the king. And he tells Esther and she tells the right people and they, they save his life. This also comes into the story later. See the rising action? See this coming in? It's going to get good here in a second. But we already see that they have this ongoing relationship. They, they see that they are, we, we can see through this that they were still close, even though they were living really separately now. This is also important in this story. He's still living at home, but working sometimes in the palace. She's living in the harem, even though she's the queen in the big palace. They're separated, but they're still connected. Okay, now we got to meet the bad guy. Every great story has some sort of an adversary, some sort of a antagonist. And this one has one a guy named Haman. Haman's one of the other officials. And for some reason, Xerxes chooses him as the head official. And the scriptures doesn't re they don't really explain whether Mordecai's disdain for him, his, his, his refusal to bow down to Haman was because he already knew his character and just didn't respect him, or if maybe he was jealous. It, it doesn't really tell us. It just says he refused to bow down to him. And this made Haman so mad, he didn't want to just kill Mordecai. He wanted to kill everyone he was remotely related to. So Haman goes to Xerxes, and he bribes him with an incredibly big amount of money to make a decree, one of these irrevocable decrees from the laws of the Medes and Persians. He wants a signed, sealed law that says that on a certain day, anybody who wants to can legally kill a Jew and take all their stuff. And the king, for some reason, says, sure, I'll take your bribe, I'll make your law. And he does. Mordecai finds out about this, and he instantly rallies all of his friends, all his fellow Persian Jews, and they fast 
and pray and they mourn. They publicly are crying in the streets. They're making a big deal about this. But Esther, even though she's living in the palace, doesn't really know what's happening. So she sends word to Mordecai to find out. And this is really interesting to me, especially as I was reprocessing this story in light of social distancing and doing so much over the Internet. A lot of these, every time I've seen this movie in a cartoon or a movie form, whenever it's dramatized for us, you see Mordecai and Esther taking these long walks together, talking about stuff. And the way it actually happened, it's very clear in Scripture, is they couldn't do that anymore. They were working through one of her eunuchs that worked for him, and his name was Hathak. And so he was their Internet. He was their way to connect with each other. They would send these messages back and forth. So she sends Hathak to see what's wrong. Mordecai explains the situation and sends him back again, asking her to help. Let's actually read a couple of verses here. We're going to start reading in Esther chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Today I happen to be reading from the New Living Translation again. Then Esther told Hathak to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. And she spends a little bit of time here basically saying, you of all people should know how this works, Mordecai. But here's what she tells him. Anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. Again, I always want to know all the details in the background. We don't know if they were having relationships problems. We don't know if maybe that was just he, was, he had a whole bunch of wives. Uh, we, we don't know exactly how this all worked. But she's very uncomfortable approaching him, not only because of this law, but there's even this added thing. She hasn't really been with him that much recently. So she's genuinely afraid to approach him. She's genuinely afraid to, to try this thing. She kind of thinks that he might um, give her grace, that she kind of thinks he does love her, respect her on some level, but she also knows he's complicated. So she's not really that excited about it. Esther 4.13, Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when the other Jews are killed. Esther 4.14, if you keep quiet at a time like this, Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Let's pause there for a second. One of the interesting things about the book of Esther is it never really names God by name. You see his hand all through it. You see him kind of directing traffic, but it seems more like coincidences or providence or uh, when people fast and pray it, it, it says they're fasting and praying but it doesn't really say who they're fasting and praying to it, it's kind of obscure and yet you see God throughout this this is one of those spots where Mo what Mordecai is saying that deliverance and relief will come from the Jews what he's saying is I know God's going to still keep his promises to our people somehow or another there's still going to be a Messiah even if you and me Esther get killed or not Somehow or another, God's going to bless the world through the people of Israel. One way or another, there's going to be a remnant. One way or another, the prophecies will be fulfilled. People will go back to Jerusalem, re keep, finish rebuilding that wall, finish rebuilding the temple. One way or another, that's going to happen. But listen, your responsibility, Esther, is what he's saying. Your responsibility matters a lot. If you don't act on this, you and all your relatives will die. 
Just because you're some of the people of God doesn't mean that you have immunity to everything. You've got some choices that are important. And now he says where we get the title for not only today's, today's sermon, but also this whole series. He says, who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this. Esther sent a request back to Mordecai and asked him to send a request to everyone else, uh, all the other Jews living in Persia, to spend three days fasting and praying. And she said, I'm going to do the same thing, and then I'm going to approach the king on the third day. She says, if I must die, I must die. And this is where it starts getting really practical for us, because she didn't really know how this was going to turn out, but she knows what she needed to do today, and she focused on that. That's some of the best advice I could ever give you about how to handle a crisis. Focus on today. Focus on what you need to do today. When the scriptures tell us to set our mind on things above, to rejoice in the Lord always, and all these passages that we, we talk about, that let our minds be not conformed to the world around us, but transformed by the renewing of our mind, by focusing on God. It's not telling us to pretend that some, all the stuff that's happening in the world isn't happening. It's not asking us to be naive or stick our heads in the sand. It's asking us to think more clearly, more accurately than everyone else around us, because we really know what's really going on. The scriptures are clear that we're never supposed to really know the future. We don't know those details But we have faith and hope and love and the powers to make real choices. And all of that happens in the present time. All of that happens right here, right now. And when we focus on today, we actually have a chance of getting the right things done. I don't know if you remember the movie Meet the Robinsons. It's actually one of my favorites. I really like that one. And the theme song is amazing. Uh, Rob Thomas actually wrote that one. It goes something like this. Our lives are made in these small hours, these little wonders, these twists and turns of fate. Time falls away, but these small hours, these small hours still remain. I'm not sure if he even reads the Bible. I don't know Rob Thomas, but that's this idea. We have this moment right here, right now. We have today, and our lives are made out of hundreds and thousands of todays, right here, right now, moments all strung together. If you don't mind, let's derail just a little bit further into Meet the Robinsons and then come back into Esther. If you've ever seen that movie, um, it's great. This will make a lot of sense. If you haven't, you should watch that while you're on quarantine. It's a great movie, and it's fun for the whole family. But there's a character in there named Wilbur, and he represents the way a lot of people react in a crisis. He's brave. He's creative. He's fine. He's a great guy. But all he does is just react. Every single decision he makes, the whole story is just, oh, no, let me try this. Oh, no, let me try this. Oh, no, let me try that. A lot of people, that's how they go through their whole lives. Lewis, on the other hand, he's kind of the hero of the story. He's really, really smart, but he's constantly obsessing with the things that he's doing at any given moment. And he thinks he can control what's going to happen next. He keeps forgetting that nobody can control anything but the choices we make in the moment. And then there's Goob. Poor Goob. He ends up being the bad guy in the story, but mostly because he just focuses on the bad stuff as a kid. 
He focuses on everything that's bad, everything that's ever happened to him, everything he doesn't like. He focused on the past and certain moments in the past that were especially painful for him or embarrassing for him. He focuses on himself. One of the funniest and also saddest at the same time moments in the whole movie is you see him telling his backstory. You hear the narrator saying, they all hated me. And what you see is him walking down the, the, uh, walking down the hallway at school and all the kids are going, hey, Goob, how are you? Love your notebook. You want to come to a party? And he's going, just ignoring them. And again, you hear them saying, they all hated me. There's a lot of us that that's how we handle life in general, not just crises, but we just focus on the bad stuff. We focus on moments in the past that we wish we could have changed or done differently. And we waste, listen, we waste countless little moments. We waste the countless little moments that we do have control over. Let's get back to the story of Esther. Esther chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the court of the palace. Notice the strategy that she's using here. Because this is what we can really get out of this story, is that we can live strategically. She accepted wise counsel from people she trusted. She asked for help from people and from God. They prayed and they fasted. Then she did what she had to do. And when she approaches the king, she freaks everybody out because she, she go, risks her life. And he says, you can have anything. Ask me anything. And she says, I want you and Haman to come to dinner. Okay. Wow. That. So they come to dinner. And then at that dinner, uh, if things are going really well, he makes the same offer. So really, what did you really want? And she says, well, I'd, I'd really like you to come to dinner again tomorrow. And again, I, I don't know for sure. The Bible doesn't explain. Is that her plan? Is this a plan she got from God? Is this her chickening out twice in a row and saying, ah, I guess I'll give you dinner? I, I don't know exactly what's happening here. All we know is looking back, we can see that it actually did work. And I think part of that is because of all these other very strategic things she did. Personally, I think it was a really good plan to have them to dinner twice. But now we get to the climax of the story. All of this stuff, the exposition, meeting all the characters, knowing what's going on, understanding how it's happening, all the rising action, things getting more complicated. Now it all comes together, and there's this one day that a whole bunch of stuff happens. It's the day that uh, they're going to have that second banquet. But that night after the first banquet, the king goes to bed, and he can't sleep. Haman goes back, and he can't really sleep either. He's just so mad at Mordecai that he and his family get all fired up, and they decide they're going to kill him. Some versions of the Bible say that he was going to hang him. That's technically correct. But when I think hang, I think Old West. I think a rope and a big stick, like playing hangman or something. That's really not how they did it back then. They actually just sharpened a really big pole and impaled you on the end of it. He had a seven-story pole sharpened and ready to go for Haman. But the king can't sleep. He, he's just laying there in bed awake. And it's important to notice that at this point in the story, nobody knows what's going to happen next. Esther has no idea what's going to happen next. Haman doesn't know what's going to happen. The Xerxes doesn't. Mordecai, none of the Jews have any idea. A bunch of the rest of the people don't even know what's going on. They don't even know what's at stake here. But at this moment in the story, nobody knows what's going to happen next. That's how we all are in the middle of a crisis. That's how it is in any crisis ever. We don't know. We just hope 
and pray that we're doing the right things, being as strategic as he as we possibly can. Esther 6.1, that night the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. Maybe he thought that would make him sleepy, I, I don't know, but it didn't work if that's what his plan was, because they read to him all night. And by the time dawn is breaking, he's remembering the part where Mordecai and Esther had saved his life. And he goes, hey, what did we ever do for Mordecai? Did we ever remember him? Did we ever, did we ever celebrate him? Did we ever reward him? And they go, no, we never did. He goes, man, we got to fix that problem. Here's another one of those little subtle nods to God in this story. Esther 6, 4. As it happened... Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole that he had just prepared. This is one of the funniest scenes in this story and just about any story. Here comes Haman all excited coming in. He goes, hey, I know we're going to get to kill all his family on March the 7th, the way we count time. But he goes, hey, listen, can I, I want to kill Mordecai right away. That's what he's getting ready to say. And as he bursts in, the king goes, hey, Haman, you're just the guy I wanted to see. What could I do to really show somebody that I really respect them? I really like them. I really appreciate what they've done for me. And Haman just assumes, well, he's obviously talking about me. So he paints this elaborate picture of a one-person parade. Well, actually, two persons. One guy's on the horse, riding the king's horse, wearing the king's clothes. And the other guy is saying, here, everybody, pay attention. This is how the king treats somebody he really loves and respects. That's what he wants him to do for him. And instead, what happens is the king goes, oh, that is a wonderful idea. I need you to do that for me today for Mordecai the Jew. And Haman has to spend his day, this one great big day. It starts before dawn. It doesn't go anywhere like he hoped it would go. Mordecai gets the surprise of his life. He shows up to work at the palace, and he gets to instead go on this big parade, riding the king's horse, wearing the king's clothes, having Haman, the guy that was his arch enemy, going, this is how the king rewards people he really likes. All hail Mordecai. Anyway, so they go through that. I love this. It's just hilarious to me, but we've got to get to the end of this story. Haman goes home after that completely angry and mad, and he talks to his family about how miserable it is. And his family and his advisors go, this is not going to turn out well. Esther 6.15, while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared. And at this second banquet, Esther finally tells the king exactly what the problem is. And he's so mad, he just walks out of the room. I don't know if you've ever been that mad. You just... You just don't want to, you're afraid of what you're going to do if you stay around. You just leave. He just walks out for a second. And while he's gone, Haman jumps on her, basically, trying to beg for mercy. The king walks in at that moment and goes, seriously? And, and, and he gets him to go, and they go kill Haman right that minute on the pole that he was going to kill Mordecai with. And in the, by the end of this day... Haman is dead. Esther owns all his property. Mordecai gets his job and also gets the job of managing all that property that used to be Haman's and is now Esther's for her. And the king's going, hey, well, this worked out. This is a pretty good day. Esther goes to him again. She actually goes back and risks her life one more time and says, no, that law is still there. 
you can't revoke a law of the Medes and the Persians. It's still in place. We took care of the bad guy that was causing it, but we've still got this problem. This day is still looming. Esther 8, 8. The king replies to Mordecai. He hears what Esther says, and he looks at Mordecai, and he goes, okay, you're the guy in charge now. I give you full authority. Do what you think is best. Listen how he says it. Now go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the king's name, telling them whatever you want. But remember, he says, you can't actually change the law. So Mordecai very wisely comes up with a pretty cool solution. It's still legal to kill all the Jews on that day. But at the same time, it's also going to be legal for them to fight back and, and take all the plunder from the people that were attacking them. And he thinks at least that might shut things down. Esther 9, 1. So on March 7th, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. And on that day, the Jews actually won big time. They slaughtered their enemies, but they didn't take any plunder. Xerxes asked, are you satisfied? And Esther said, actually, no. I need another day of this. And I want all of Haman's ten sons impaled on poles. King says, okay. You don't see that in the Veggie Tales versions of, version of the story of Esther, but it's in the story. It's in the Bible. That's what happened. I, I think it's important we see all the details. But here's where it really comes down to it. Our crisis is really different than the one they were facing. But we, can, we serve the same God, and we can still use the same, the same strategies that they have. Esther and Mordecai were both very wise, but let me tell you something. They did not feel prepared. They did not know how things were going to end. They did play their part strategically. They trusted God. They trusted each other. They, submiss- they submitted to the protocols and the laws of the land. They did not submit to, quote, unquote, destiny. They did not just give up. When they couldn't be together, they did what it took to still stay in touch. They sent messages back and forth. They stayed in contact with each other. They fasted and they prayed for each other and for their people. They told each other the truth, even when it hurt, every single time. All of these are absolutely crucial for us to do in a moment of crisis, any crisis, any crisis that we ever face. It's also important to remember that God was there all along, and he gave them the humble courage that they showed. So in these last couple minutes together, this is how we can break this down. This is how this story can empower us right here, right now. First of all, remember that God guides and provides when we trust and obey. We serve the same God they serve. His Holy Spirit actually lives in us today. We are the walking, talking, living, breathing tabernacles of God. That was something that Esther and Mordecai didn't even have. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. That's not just a wonderful, profound little saying. That's actual strategy that God is giving us. He's saying, do this. This is exactly what you do if you want me to guide you and show you my will. If we're going to live strategically, we've got to take responsibility for our own choices. 
We've got to remember, we can't control God. We can't control other people. We can't control all of our circumstances. But we can and we must control how we face them. We can and we must control what we focus our minds and our hearts on. We can and we must choose how we use what God has given each of us. And every little moment along the way. I want you to imagine the story that you'd like people to tell about you on the other side of this crisis. And then do that today. Do you want them to say, well, they were a coward. They were really bored. They just really watched a lot of Netflix. They just barely survived. What do you want them to tell? What do you want to say? Because you know when you get that choice? Right here, right now. Today is the way. Today is the only way that you can affect your story and live strategically. And remember this, we represent God on this planet, Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Colossians 3, 23, work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. We've got to play our part strategically. We've got to serve with humble courage. We've got to team up with God and with others and get whatever job he wants us to get done, done. Can I just encourage you one more time? Wherever you are, whenever you're hearing this, you were created for such a time as this. You may hear this message on the Internet somewhere years and years after this present crisis is over in the world, but that's still going to be true. It's always been true. It's true for Esther and Mordecai. It's true for us today. Wherever you are, you have what you need because God is with you. You were given specific gifts and specific relationships and specific responsibilities, but you've got to make sure that you're connected to God and to his people. You've got to make sure. If you're not connected to him today, get connected. Let us know how we can help. You've got to stay connected to his people. Whatever you've got to do, get it done. You've got to play your part strategically. Let us know how we can help, and we need your help. This is how we can fight this. This is how we can get whatever needs done in whatever crisis we ever face. Play your part strategically. Stay connected to God and each other. And trust that the God of Esther and Mordecai is still our God today. God bless you. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now. Don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.